Lori Houston's News for the Heart is dedicated to helping you give a voice to your own soul. Our hearts have the power to free us from pain and the struggles that keep us from awakening to our true essence. Join Lori now as we delve into our heart and soul to find the path that will open us to the possibilities and lead us to the life we love to live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. I want to thank you so much for being with us. Well, anyone who knows me knows that going to a doctor terrifies me. In fact, my blood pressure soars whenever I see anyone in a white coat, even a butcher. But that being said, I do make sure to have the world's most renowned doctors and health experts on the show for all of you. And on today's program, I'll be speaking with one such renowned doctor. And after the break, we'll meet an outspoken advocate for women who will share with us the results of a very important survey about women's health that you don't want to miss. But before we bring on our first guest, celebrated cardiologist, Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, who will share her unique perspectives on health, wellness, and overall vitality by living a heart-centered life. Just a quick hello to the person who was kind enough to listen to all of my daily symptoms, real or imagined, and assure me that there is, it is impossible for humans to contract elm blight. My producer and a saint, Lori Houston. Hi, Lori. I'm not sure I'm a saint, but thank you, Jane. <laughs> well, you're my producer. I, I think you're a saint. All right. Well, today, no complaints. But that doesn't mean our next guest, who's been on the show several times before and is also my husband's cardiologist, will let me off the hook and not suggest that I come see her for a well-woman visit. And she'll tell us why that is so important. Just briefly, she is the director of Women and Heart Disease, Lenox Hill North Shore Hospital here in New York City. She is a national spokesperson for American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. She has been on the New York Times coveted super doctor list, as she is a super doctor, and she is a best-selling author. I urge you all to read her new book, Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum's Heart Book, Every Woman's Guide to a Healthy Heart. Hi, Dr. Steinbaum. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us once again. Thank you for having me, Jane. Well, you know, before we begin, I have to tell everyone, I hope it doesn't embarrass you, but Suzanne is probably the best-looking doctor in the world. Seriously. (laughs) And when I accompany my husband to her office, I am more interested in where she buys her clothes than the results of his cardiogram. Just kidding, Bob, if you're listening. (laughs) But seriously, she looks like she just stepped off the cover of Vogue magazine. So, so there you go. That's sweet. All right, Suzanne, here we go. Um, You know, I believe, as you know, that genetics may load the gun, but lifestyle certainly pulls the trigger. And what I like about you, uh, what you do, aside from the obligatory tests and and medications, obviously, in some case, you also focus on prevention, diet, exercise, healthy lifestyle in general, which I feel is equally important. And, you know, my husband lost over 45 pounds with your guidance. Thank you for that. But unfortunately, I think you've created a monster. He looks in the mirror now and says, it don't get much better than this. So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, he's done great. He listens to you, Dr. Steinbaum. He does not listen to me. You have done this. You have almost, I think it's almost 50 pounds now, which is, it wasn't, you know, not easy, as you know. He's a little bit stubborn, but he did it. So, Um, so now, you know, um, 
I've been reading some scary figures, speaking of my um, fear of doctors, but, you know, I read some scary figures. And according to the American Heart Association, it's probably, it's probably why it scares me, uh, approximately every 40 seconds, an American will suffer a heart attack. And, and cardiovascular disease is the underlying cause of about one out of every three deaths in the, in the United States, which is, which is a lot, and, and just focusing on women. Uh, I was talking about this with Star Jones, who was our guest last week, and the statistics are, are even scarier. Like 44 million women in the U.S. are affected by cardiovascular disease, and they die of that more than all forms of cancer put together. So my question is, why are there people like me who don't get my heart checked? <laughs> why? Why, Jane? <laughs> why? 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 <laughs> You know, the most empowering statistic from my perspective is that 80% of the time heart disease is a preventable issue, 80% of the time. So when I sit with someone or I'm talking to someone, I'm like, let's think about this. There is no other disease that we have such a powerful, empowering statistic that we can actually say this is under our own personal control. This is something we can deal with and manage on our own. And the issue is, why don't we? Well, we're, we're constantly um, really having issues with human nature and really how many people don't want to know or are too scared to know. But I will tell you that when it comes to preventing heart disease, information is power. The more you know, the more you can do something about it and the less chance that you have bad outcomes. We we talk about your husband and saying, you have to lose weight. And if you don't embrace that and really get that and understand that if I don't do this, I am going to get sick, you really have to be connected to this outcome enough that you want to make a difference. And once you realize if I do this, I am going to be okay, and you can make that connection, there is no reason not to take care of yourself, watch your diet, exercise, and really manage your health. That's true. Is, is it true also that um, in women, heart attacks are typically later in life and, and more severe? I say holding my chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting thing. Heart attacks most often happen in women about 10 years after menopause, but there has been an increased incidence in heart disease in women less than 55 years old. And in fact, in this group of women, this younger group of women, when heart disease does develop, the outcomes are significantly worse. They die more of heart attacks, heart failure is more prevalent, and that's for all women, but especially in this younger group of women. So it's easy to say, well, it's an older woman's disease, much older women's disease, but that's not the case anymore. It's really happening to women younger and younger. And also when, when a woman does have the symptoms of a heart attack, um, there's often a delay in recognizing the symptoms, be, maybe because they're more subtle. They think they have heartburn or even the flu. And I know many women, my mother-in-law actually, who had gone to the doctor several times saying she had odd symptoms of pressure and 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 gas. And, and he said, oh, no, it's something you ate. And he actually sent her home quite a few times until she actually did have a, a heart attack. Why is it different in women, the, the symptoms? 
heart disease symptoms are so much more subtle because of the way that the disease develops in the arteries. It's not the same blockage that happens in one major artery as it does in men. Oftentimes, if the disease is diffuse and in smaller arteries, and there's not a massive rupturing of plaque as there is in men, there, there's sort of this erosion. And the, this erosion is a much more subtle process that happens. When women get heart disease, it's, you know, this stereotype of subtlety because the smaller arteries that are not as dramatic in their presentation are the ones that are more likely affected. So instead of that crushing chest pain, there's shortness of breath, there's jaw pain, there's back pain, there's nausea, vomiting, fatigue, flu-like symptoms, and all of these things can be heart disease. And sometimes women will just say, I have the flu, or I'm just not feeling great, or I'm going to lie down and I'll feel better later. And that's when that concept of a silent heart attack happens, when they don't reach out for help. And at some point, someone says, hey, by the way, did you know you had a heart attack? And they might not have been aware. And so prevention of another episode becomes less frequent. And what men often receive in terms of medication or procedures might not happen for a woman unless she's really proactive about um, doing something and getting her heart checked. All right, wait, I'm writing this down. Pain in jaw, pressure in <laughs> chest. Oh, Just, call Just call me. Just call me. Text you, email you, whatever. And you always say, come see me or go to the doctor. No matter what I say, you say, please, just, you know, come and come and see me. You don't, you don't, you don't diagnose on, online, which is, a, which is a good thing. Um, Diagnosing by email is never a good thing. No. Well, <laughs> don't you make exceptions. <laughs> Won't you make exceptions? <laughs> well, you know, doctor, and, and you mentioned that in the in the beginning as well. You know, with managed healthcare today, or whatever's going to happen to our healthcare system, uh, doctors really don't have the time or make the time to discuss lifestyle. And in many cases, it really does become only about the tests and the medications. But as I said, you focus on on uh, so many important uh, aspects of, of heart wellness, as you mentioned before, the diet, exercise, stress management. So let's start, if we may, with, with, with the diet. Um, you say in your book, uh, Every Woman's Guide to a Healthy Heart, that paying attention to your diet on a daily basis is one of the cornerstones of keeping your heart healthy. Why is that? Food is really like medication. If you eat the right food, it's going to do the right things for your heart health. So when we look at all the different diets out there, they may help you lose weight, but the diets that are really high in omega-3 fatty acids and multigrains and fibers and nuts and fruits and vegetables, these actually functionally decrease your cholesterol. They decrease your blood sugar. They decrease inflammation and can dilate your arteries. And all of these foods, when part of a heart-healthy diet, really can keep the lining of your arteries healthy. And if the lining of your arteries are healthy, then you don't get heart disease. So I really think of the diet not just as what am I going to have for dinner, but really as a mechanism and a way to maintain heart health because what is in our food can really be looked at as medication. 
Yeah. And, and again, Bob, um, since he's been your patient now, he, um, before, and he still won't actually, you know, he'd rather starve than eat like kale or, or arugula. (laughs) That's like, that's for him. It's no, no, no. But I have managed to get him to eat beans and, and legumes and vegetables and fish. And I sneak in some yogurt as a dressing and other than an occasional impulse to become a rug salesman, he seems to be doing quite great. <laughs> he seems to be doing wonderfully. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that. And in fact, he also works out and um, he is given to flexing his muscles and pulling his shirt up to show his abs at meetings. Um, <laughs> and I, I believe he has been called a physical specimen. So, you know, it's interesting because I've heard often from patients you know, I'm I'm getting older. I can't lose weight or I can't get fit. And I think that Bob really has shown it. that's not true. You can be in the best physical shape of your life at any age, in, in any stage in your life. You just have to be really committed to it. And the commitment is not a small one. It's not a, I will eat healthy five days a week. It's a, this is part of my life and this is how I'm going to choose to live. Yeah, and and you can you know can you go off it every once in a while without feeling guilty? Is it is it okay? I always say to Bob, your heart doesn't know it's your birthday, or your heart doesn't know it's you know New Year's Eve. You have to do it. You have to be vigilant because you know your arteries can clog. I mean, he does have genetic heart disease, and you know any any moment, <laughs> you know who knows what makes it clog. So, but again, he listens to you. He doesn't listen to me. And as you know from my emails, please tell him to drink more water. Yeah. You know that that. Um, but how do you? That's a, an interesting question that I'm sure our listeners would want to know. If you do have a husband, a spouse, a partner, a friend, a, a child who is reticent about going on a better lifestyle program, it's hard, unless they want to do it, it's very hard to push them to do it. How do you get them gently to take better care of themselves? It's very hard when someone is very, very resistant to change their behavior. And in fact, between couples, I always say, don't overdo it because they won't listen at all and then you'll spend most of your time fighting and it's not worth it. But often when someone does have something wrong, tangibly something wrong, either something happens or we can see sugars that are high or cholesterol that is high, when there's evidence that there is a problem, it's easier to change behavior because they can see the effects of what they're doing. And then when there's success, when the numbers come down and the weight comes down and all of a sudden you can see your abs, that's when you get people really sticking to it. But it's hard. It's really hard. The other piece is that people start feeling better, but it doesn't happen right away. It happens over time. So you have to get them to stick with it long enough that they start feeling better. And that's where the exercise component comes in because exercise increases that serotonin and that serotonin makes you feel good. And as you start losing weight, you have more energy, and then you more likely are to stick to the program. So it's not just about the diet. It's really adding that exercise in, and it's really to help maintain compliance and to have someone really want to stick with the program. But I will tell you, if someone's not ready, it's almost impossible, really. 
Yeah, again, until they have something, if they do have a heart attack, then all of a sudden they change their ways of something that could have been avoided by taking better care to begin with. And there's really no excuse not to work out. Do something. You know, we have 24 hours in a day. Surely anybody could find even a half hour. You know, you don't have to uh, go to a gym and, 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 and gasp for air at the end of a session. You can just do some. Is that enough to do just walking, let's say? Will that... I, I always, yeah, you know, I always say do something, just do something. And if it's walking, you want 10,000 steps a day. Ideally, the more you push yourself, the better off you're going to be. But sitting is not an option. So walking is really good. Is it great? Well, you can always do a little better. But doing nothing is not the option at all. So if you can't go to the gym or you can't exercise, just get up and walk. Just plan on those 10,000 steps a day. Or use the stairs or, or park your exactly. car further away. Or, I mean, there, there are ways to get your exercise in. Now, before we talk about stress, which is really important and how to, how to deal with that, because again, that, that is a big link to illness in, in general. Let's talk for a moment about cholesterol um, for obvious reasons, because I had mine checked. <laughs> At the uh, at the CVS American Heart Association free clinic day, <laughs> you said it's small steps, so that's a good thing. You just I had it done, and and so I'm very proud, I'm, and I I'm very happy that I I did it. But as <laughs> I as I'm I'm still here, I'm still alive, and I give you the results in 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 a few seconds from the cholesterol, so you don't have to wait and perhaps call the lab, <laughs> is it, and and see if there's anything wrong. But you say that as you get older for women, the HDL, uh, which is the H, I think, happy um, cholesterol and the LDL, lousy cholesterol, that's how I know one is good and and one isn't, um, goes down as you lose your estrogen, which is the protection. So how does that work as you get older with your cholesterol? Because, you know, the older people are, for the most part, I'm talking 50s, 60s and up. um, Usually it's not, it's unusual for younger people. As you say, they start younger to have heart conditions, but it's really in that age 50 up. How do they control their cholesterol? So as women age and go through menopause, there's a decrease in estrogen. And estrogen is amazing because it actually maintains a high HDL, the good cholesterol. And as the estrogen goes down, what normally happens is the HDL goes down and the LDL, the bad stuff, goes up. That's part of the normal aging process. Does it have to happen? Absolutely not. If you go through, I I say this all the time, go through menopause like you're training for a marathon. Really focus on what you're eating and how you're exercising. And it's not a given that your HDL is going to come plummeting down. It might drop a little, but if you continue to eat healthy, diet high in omega-3s and continue to exercise, you can keep your HDL up and it could protect your heart. How about the LDLs? What Do, do those go up too as you get older or is that just they diet? They do. No, they do, but you can control it with diet and exercise as well. Control LDL. <laughs> <laughs> My next email. Um, now, okay, let's go to stress. Stress is not anything that any of us can avoid. And there is a link. Is there not between stress and heart disease? And if so, what what is it? I don't think we have truly appreciated 
the significant impact that stress has on the heart. Stress increases inflammation. It increases the stress hormones, which increases blood pressure and your heart rate. Stress is horrible for our arteries and is definitely associated with an increased risk of heart disease. Here's the issue. Everyone has stress. I will tell you this. I know this. Everyone tells me this when they close the door in my office. Everyone has stress and everyone's stress is overwhelming. You're not going to really be able to get rid of that. But the issue becomes, how are you going to manage it? And I think managing stress is such an important part of a heart-healthy life, equally as important as diet and exercise, because without managing it, it is going to cause so many problems for you. People who are under exorbitant amounts of stress tend to have other issues that happen, whether it be that they can't sleep, there's depression, there's overeating, there's lack of exercise. It becomes this cycle. So managing your stress often leads to healthier lifestyle choices, better behaviors, and a reduction of all those things that we talked about that can lead to heart disease. So managing stress is so critical. How you choose to do it is up to you, but you've got to figure out how to do it. Is there anything that you recommend that you you think works the best, or is it just, you know, and not everyone can meditate, obviously. <clears throat> not everybody could get rid of their wives. <clears throat> Bob, if you're listening, that doesn't work. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to it's not going to happen. So you might as well deal with that stress. Um, but what I mean, just think better. How do you what do you say to your patients who say I'm stressed? It has to be a conscious decision to do something. So the easiest thing to do is really to change your perspective. Know what you can control, what you can't control trying to look at things more optimistically than pessimistically. These little things make a difference. And then putting in place some sort of practice, whether it is something like meditation, transcendental meditation, there have been multiple studies showing the reduction of blood pressure with a reduction of stress using uh, meditation, transcendental meditation. But there's also yoga, there's mindfulness, there's exercise. There are all these other choices that you can say, this is good for me, but you have to figure out something. One of the things that we've been talking about a lot is the concept of gratitude. Everyone needs to make their daily gratitude list and say, this is what I'm happy for. This is what I'm thankful for. Because having an optimistic perspective changes how your hormones function in your body and it decreases the inflammation. It decreases the arteries from clamping down and helps dilate them. And by decreasing inflammation and dilating the arteries, it helps prevent against heart disease. But these are decisions you have to make. They don't happen accidentally. The natural tendency is to have stress and start hyperventilating and your heart palpitating and really get in that moment of, woe is me, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? This is horrible. And I'm telling you, snap out of it, put it into perspective, start breathing, implement your stress techniques, and look at it just a little bit differently because it's going to protect your heart. Yeah, and what I tell my daughter is that what's bothering you now, you're going to turn around in two weeks and look and say, did that really bother me? That was so nothing, you know? Yeah. So Perspective, perspective, perspective. Right, yep. right. 
Now let's talk about that elusive for me, well woman visit. <clears throat> Why should I do it? What is what do you what what do you do during that visit? So I I'm writing this down. Okay. <laughs> I I am now going to convince you of the importance of this. Okay. Are you okay, ready? Okay. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay. So when we started we talked about how heart disease was eighty percent preventable. Right. And it's based on the risk factors. Blood pressure, cholesterol, sugars. Exercise, diet, family history, inflammation can be part of this as well. So unless you go get your well woman visit, you are not going to know what these numbers are because you need to have your blood drawn and you need to have your blood pressure checked. How's that? And once you know these numbers, you can then figure out what your risk is. And then you can do whatever you need to do to prevent heart disease. And that is so empowering. So whether you call, call your doctor by another name, I am not going to the doctor. I am going to the spa for my heart. How does that sound? Whatever it takes to trick yourself into understanding it is not the end of the world, you got to do it because you got to go get these numbers checked. All right. I like that. I like that. I'm going to the heart spa. Is there a massage? Call, yes. <laughs> I will have a masseuse come. If I can get you in the office. <laughs> Is it, can you find a way to do a blood test that doesn't involve a needle? <laughs> like <laughs> that remotely? I can't help you with. <laughs> like, like remotely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you. Yes, I will, I will definitely um, <clears throat> come in. Come in. I do know my sugars are low, which is surprising, even though I like raisins. But, um, but what causes sugars to, to go up? That's all. That's, that's what you eat, <laughs> Raisins. Right? I know, yeah, and I mean, full, full fat cheese, oh my God, that causes well, the other thing. sugars go, go up really from diet, and the simple sugars, simple carbohydrates, dried fruits, very high in sugar, that's really what makes your sugars go up. Um, so you've got to pay attention to that. Are you having more sugar than you realize? I, I sometimes hear people say, I have this yogurt parfait in the morning, and the yogurt has sugar in it, and there's dried fruit, and there's other syrupy fruits that are added, and the calorie count and the amount of sugars in that is really off the charts. So you have to learn how to read labels and really look at how much sugar is in something because sometimes those sugars are hidden. There could be sugars in salad dressings. So you have to pay attention to that. It's so important. Yeah, and also reading labels. It's surprising that if you look at a small yogurt, six ounce, it has sometimes 25 to 30 grams of sugar. And that's a little teeny thing. That's like half of the day's allotment, I would think. It's, right. it's, 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 it's scary. And reading labels, I always think, is, is surprising, and, but it very um, a good habit to get into. So, Dr. Steinbaum, for our final couple of minutes, um, can you just leave us with the most important things we should remember lifestyle-wise in preventing heart disease and stroke and, and other illnesses, too, that go along with it? The first thing is, I think the message has already gotten out never to smoke, and I think that that's, I just have to say it, but I think we got that one. And the other piece to this is that who you are in your life, how you live your life from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. That's how your health is determined. So if you wake up in the morning and someone decides to give you a donut and you eat it, it doesn't mean the world is over. 
it means that you have the rest of the day to make choices. But understand those choices do affect you. It takes time for heart disease to develop. And it is a product of everything that you choose to do. If you really think about this, self-care is the most important thing that you can give to yourself, especially for women who often put other people first and make themselves the lowest priority on the list. I will tell you, you have to take care of yourself. You have to put yourself first, a well woman visit, self-care, eating right, sleeping. Don't cut corners when it comes to your own health and your own well-being because as you keep cutting those corners, that's when things build up and that's when you get sick and you have to pay attention to yourself. We all need to make ourselves a priority. And I'll tell you why this is the most important. We can sit here and talk about diet and exercise all we want, but unless we make it our issue, it doesn't matter. Well said, well said. Now, where can we, where can people such as myself who want to come into your office and read more about you and your book? <laughs> where, where can we find you? I don't know. I, actually, I know where to find you, but where can everyone else find you? You can go on my website. It's srsheart, H-E-A-R-T dot com. And you can track me down through there and find my book through there. And also all the things I write in my perspective on really what heart disease means and how we all, what I say, um, is really how we live from the heart, which is the most important thing to do. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you so much for being with us, everyone. Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, buy her book, listen to every word she says, read every word she says. My husband listens and Lord knows he never listens to me. So there. He's and tough. I'll see you soon, Jane, right? Yes, you, of course. I have this is all, all, all written down here. So. <laughs> thank, thank you for having oh, me. Oh, thank you again. Stay with us, everyone. We're coming right back with author Melanie Notkin, who will talk about a very interesting and important new study involving cervical cancer. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As listeners of our iHeartRadio talk show know, Jane Wilkins Michael is one of the foremost experts on all things health, beauty, and fitness. Jane has just released her highly anticipated new book, Long Live You, a step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before. In it, she shares a collection of advice, tips, and personal antidotes, along with lifestyle suggestions from some of the world's top beauty, health, and fitness experts, many of whom have been interviewed on this show. Are you hoping to make positive health decisions, improve your emotional well-being, establish a support system, give something back to your community and the world? Jane's new book will help you look years younger and also live a longer, healthier, happier, and more beautiful life. You can order Long Live You, your step-by-step plan to look and feel better than before at your local bookstore or at Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com, where it's available for delivery or as an ebook. Or go to Jane's website, janewilkinsmichael.com. Now, Back to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show. Want to know where you can hear Jane Wilkins Michael Show better than before? Well, that's easy. You can tune into Jane via Clear Channel's iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and at bmajor.org. Now, back to Jane Wilkins Michael and better than before. 
Welcome back, everyone. We are on the air live. You're, ta- you're listening to the Jane Wilkins Michael Show on iHeartRadio Talk. I'm Jane. I'm coming to you live from New York City. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm here with Lori, as always. And now I'd like to welcome to the show Melanie Notkin. You know, there's been a lot of talk about cervical cancer in the news lately. As, as all of you may know, Fox Sports commentator Erin Andrews recently revealed she was diagnosed with cervical cancer last year, and thankfully she successfully underwent surgery to address it. And additionally, a recent study revealed the death rate for cervical cancer is considerably higher than we realized. Now, we wanted to delve deeper on the topic, especially for our listeners, to help them understand that recommended screenings for cervical cancer, which include the PAP and HPV together for women 30 to 65 years old. But we're also going to have some fun on this topic, and and we're going to talk to someone who is a She's, she's a lot of fun. She is the author of a popular book, Otherhood, and she's an outspoken advocate for women. And she's going to share uh, some information about this uh, recent survey, which is really interesting, and her own experience um, involving the um, gynecological exams. <laughs> and, and, you know, she'll also clarify some confusion over the types of tests women should be getting. And, you know, cervical cancer screening is, is one of the most important routine screenings a woman needs throughout her adult life. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, Jane, thank you. Thank you so much for having me so we can talk about this important topic. And you're right, it has been in the news lately, which is why I'm so proud to have teamed up with Hologic to to help us all better understand, because there is some confusion around this, um, the screenings. We better understand what's going on, and like you said, and have some fun, because, you know, there's no really, there are very few places that are more fun than, than going to see your gynecologist, right? Oh, I, oh absolutely. <laughs> I can't think of a more fun place, you know? If right? I mean, that and the dentist. Like, there's just, <laughs> it's just these. I like to actually make those appointments on the same day, just to, you know, Make sure that I'm having the most fun I can. <laughs> the most fun day possible, exactly. Root canal, you forgot. Maybe schedule a oh, root yes. canal on the same day. That's too. right. I, I'll, I'll put that, add that one to the list. Uh, but actually, you know, what, women, women are um, really thinking about their their um, their exam with their healthcare provider, um, and and like you said at the at the top of the conversation that. With the survey, we found a lot of fun um, results from that, a lot of things that women are doing that um, are, <laughs> are really, um, they're, they're a little bit surprising, and yet at the same time, they're also kind of, I think, the universal things that we're all doing, and um, we didn't realize everybody else was doing too. <laughs> yeah, you think, you think you're the only one, right? And it turns out right. that you're, you're exactly right. Now, first a little bit about the survey. The National Association of Nurse Practitioners in, in Women's Health had commissioned the survey. So what exactly, um, what exactly is it? So or was the survey, it? we wanted to know what women are thinking about the day um, that they prepare to go to the exam and as well as once they get into the exam room, what they're thinking. And, um, and while we know we're having a lot of thoughts from, you know, literally what underwear we're going to wear to um, the conversations we're going to have with our healthcare provider, whether that's your gynecologist, your nurse practitioner, we're, we may not necessarily be articulating the things that we need to be asking for and then the things we need to be asking about. So the survey wanted to take a look about what women were really thinking and saying and doing um, on that very important day. 
And do you relate to some of the findings from the survey? Oh, I sure do. So the so first of all, um, <laughs> what we find out is that we are more likely, 80% of us are more likely to wear something like our, our granny panties over maybe fancy lingerie when we get there. I don't know what it is. Like if we're thinking maybe... Um, we want to like just look a little proper, prim and proper. I don't know, but but the irony, Jane, is that the same number of us, four and five, then hide the underwear <laughs> under our clothes, like as if our our health uh, provider has never seen a lady's panties before. So these are the kinds of things that I think were pretty universal. And the thing, another like seventy nine percent of us, and this is definitely me. We get into the exam room, and then right away we think, should I go to the ladies' room first? Like, what if, I have, what if I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I have to go to the ladies' room? So, yes, that one I definitely, without question, um, think about whenever I see my gynecologist. Should I go to the ladies' room before we get started? I tell you something. Once you put your feet in your stirrups, you've lost all dignity. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. <laughs> 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 Although, you know what is so funny is that 20% of these women decide, like, you know, that first of all, like 55% of them think that the, the gown, you know, it, it ties up in the back and 45% think it ties up in front. And about 20 of us think, hmm, if only I could add an accessory, like we're trying to make it like the most or the least kind of vulnerable thing that we can do just sitting there in that blue that blue uh, little gown, trying to figure out which way the the straps go. So we're, yes, we. Um, it it is a very vulnerable and intimate moment, and frankly, many of us go in there like really prepared to ask the right questions. We, you know, the survey said that we're most of us are pretty solid in thinking, in knowing, believing that we're going to ask the right questions. In fact, 86% of us said that we're going to be asking about the tests that we need, the screenings that we need, but unfortunately, we're finding out that really about a quarter of us would rather be talking about what show we saw the night before. For me, it's usually This Is Us. That's my new Oh, I love show. that show. Right? Oh, Isn't that my amazing? Goodness gracious. That is the best show, I, I must say. I, I watched them all on, on demand because I had missed the first season and I couldn't, you know, it was like a marathon. I couldn't put it down. I did the exact same thing. I think I saw all of them in like two days. Right. I couldn't stop. But that, that, you have to come back on. We got to talk about This Is Us because there are a lot of things <laughs> that are going to go on that I want to know more about. So, and especially when the season's over, we can we can actually discuss it and, and you know, how, how we thought it should end and how it did. And there there oh, is totally. apparently, there is going to be a death and I'm, I'm all ready for it with a box of Kleenex, just so you know. Um, I, oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. all in flashbacks. So we do know what's going to happen. So um, most of it is at least. Um so, but why do you think it is difficult to have? Do you think it makes it make a difference if it's a man gynecologist or a woman? Is it easier to talk to a woman? What was you know, the finding? I don't, I don't. We don't. We don't have that finding. I. I, I don't have that finding in, in front of me. But I, I think the 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 issue I think may be less about the gender and more about um, all the other things that we're thinking about in order to to not be thinking about what is actually going on when we're, when the exam is taking place um, and not really focused on the important things. And it, as you said at the top of the conversation that, you know, your, your cervical um, cancer screenings are, is one of the most important thing a, a woman must do in her, 
during her lifetime as a woman. I mean, women 30 to, to 65 need to have this, this PAP plus HPV together test. It's, it's, it's one test, one screening rather. So she's not, you know, it's no, no more intrusive than, than what she's usually going through. And yet, you know, we, we keep thinking about all the other things, the weather, this is us, all the TV shows, everything else, what, what, you know, whether or not to leave our socks on. And I, I think that we kind of get a little discombobulated and not focus on, on the things. And also I, I think sometimes some women get a little intimidated, like they don't want to feel like they're asking stupid questions or questions nobody's ever asked before. I, well, myself, I'm not a, a, med- a medical, um, I'm not a health uh, expert myself. I'm not a medical doctor or nurse practitioner myself, but I, I highly doubt that anybody's going to have too original a story <laughs> or, too st- or, or a question that they've never heard before. You know, that whoever, that probably the woman that was in the exam room, you know, just right before you had asked a similar question. And yeah. it's really up to us to remember that they've heard it all before. And if you can't talk to your healthcare provider, whether it's a woman or a man, um, about what's going on with you, about your sex life, about um, the things that you're concerned about, about about your screenings, about your health in general, then who can you talk to? Because while it may be more comfortable to talk to your girlfriends about it, unless they are um, a healthcare provider in that specific area, they probably don't have the right answers for you. So. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the way, if it is a man and you're less comfortable and you prefer to see a woman or you, your, your healthcare provider is a woman and yet you don't feel like she's got the warm and fuzzies and you don't feel like you can ask her those questions, maybe it's time to rethink who your provider is. You know, make sure that you can have those conversations because, again, if you can't have those conversations, you're not going to get the answers you need. And also, I... I I hope that women, you know, prepare not only, again, what, what panties they're going to wear, but they can go to healthywomen.org, and there's a ton of information there um, that they can use as the beginning of a conversation to have with their doctor or nurse practitioner. Right. First of all, those instruments are cold. I just want to say that. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> they if are I did cold. that survey, I'd say it is cold. Just warm them up a little bit before, you know before you do I, I agree with you yeah. I agree with you you know and and again like I've had through my my career as a woman I've had various um gynecologists and nurse practitioners and and there there are some that are much more sensitive <laughs> than others in terms of you know for them it may be routine but for us you know even if, if we go as we should all have that annual um exam that especially even women in their 20s should have their their annual pap test um we we want to make we want to for us it's 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 unusual this is not what we usually do and we want to make we want to be with a provider who makes us feel comfortable literally physically with you know warming up those (laughs) those tools and Mm -hmm. also you know maybe the, the room should be a little bit warmer the just if you if just remind the woman how the gown is it if it opens in front or back <laughs> yeah no all the very basic questions that most people don't think about that would make their visit a lot a lot easier i'm not going to say enjoy i'm stopping short at saying enjoyable because i don't think we're i'm going to get there but um 
easier, perhaps. I just had a very renowned um, cardiologist on the show before, and I was telling her about I'm a little reticent about coming into the office and getting tests. She goes, I will have a my, we'll get. I'll get you a manicure while we're doing the blood test. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, that's, that's kind of, maybe we could get a pedicure while we go to the gynecologist. Oh, you that, know, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Your feet are right there. They're just waiting to be polished, right? I mean, my goodness. And after you I finish know. your exam, your toes will be dry. So it's a, it's kind of a win-win. So I, I don't think you they had what? that question on the survey. No, though, we didn't have the question. Me. <laughs> we do know that one in, in 10, I think, actually go to... Um, a little bikini wax before, <laughs> or Brazilian well, that, before. Yeah, yeah listen, that, that's, you know, that, that's, um, a, that's important, yes. Um, we tend to be very uh, cognizant of, of our hygiene before we go, most of us, um, the survey said. And so, yes, we're thinking a lot about that. We probably spend more time preparing for the exam than we do at the exam. And, of course, it's when we're at the exam that we have to remember to make sure that we ask for, especially those of us between 30 and 65, that we ask for that HPV plus, I'm sorry, PAP plus HPV together screening. And I'm just repeating it because it's really, it's so important. I mean, this, this, I, I, as you said, I, I do care about women. My, my career, my, my, my raison d'etre of what I've done with my career is, is about caring for women and that women tell their truths. And I want to make sure that women um, you know, are vocal when they get to that exam and, and ask, make sure that they have that, um, that PAP plus HPV together screening. You know, talking briefly about HPV, there is now, and there wasn't before, there is now a connection between HPV and cancer. Right. And, you know, it's no longer the, you know, the the, um, you know, it's a, perhaps a sexually transmitted disease, but it has, mu- it, it has legs um, and it, it, it can really lead to something a lot more serious. And That's right. it is in- very important that um, this gets checked out before it, is. it leads to something else. And that is why this test, be, you know, the regular, certainly the regular pap smear for cervical cancer, but then this addition of the HPV is so critical now that right. we know the connection. There's no excuse and, you know, why not to have it. Exactly. And again, I'm, I'm not a medical professional, but in speaking with medical professionals, you know, in, in preparation of, of, of talking to you, we know that, um, that you you can a woman can con- can contract HPV, um, and it's only years later that it shows up uh, in the screening, and so you can be married for five years, and it still show up years later. So um, and also it is um, it can happen. It's it's skin to skin transferred like like it, like it's a virus. Right, HPV. Mm-hmm. The V is for virus. She right. can. It, it can happen skin to skin. So whether or not one uses a condom, it, it, you can still get HPV. So it's not a. It's not like it. It, it only. It, if even if you have safe sex with a condom, you can still get it. And it's so. Um, most most adults, the majority, have had or will have HPV. It's not unusual. It's. It's not something anybody should be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And. And it's rare that HPV will lead to cervical cancer. But it However, could. it could. And, you know, don't, and it's, and it's relatively simple to get rid of it. 
Um, you know, it's, there's no surgery involved. And so, you know, if you can just, the women who are, who are listening and, and the men who love the women, listen, or, you know, the men listening who love women in their lives, it's, there's really no difference between getting the, the PAP test and the PAP or the PAP plus HPV together test. But it's important that women make sure that they do. The, the CDC says that, you know, now there are fewer women, thank God, who are diagnosed with, with uh, cervical cancer every year, 12,000. That's way down from where it used to, when it was, when we didn't, or the medical industry didn't know that, medical profession rather, didn't know that um, HPV was um, a possible reason why women develop cervical cancer. So now that we know right. um, of those 12,000, 4,000 die every year from cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we want those 4,000 women to right, have made sure. sure that they've gone, those 12,000 women who are diagnosed, that they, again, that they get every woman in their 20s should go every year to get that pap screening, that pap test, and in women 30 to 65, the pap plus HPV together. Right, and that's they the only way life. to tell. We, we could be saving right. lives. That's the only way to tell if you have HPV is through that 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 particular test. Um, now let's talk before actually we talk about about Melanie and all the, mm-hmm. the the wonderful things that you do. Where can we find the results of the of the um, survey? Are um, they available? Can, I believe they're available um, at healthywomen.org. It's a very good question. I believe that they're there, um, and I. We'll post it, though. We'll post where they yeah. can find it. But but it would be interesting for, for women to read what other women say about it, and that way they'd feel more comfortable about going to a doctor themselves. So we will post that, and, and they can uh, see. And again, if you know other people, you're not alone, and, and I think it makes it easier for your next oh, visit. No question. Now, I also visit um, Hologic. Um, that is the, um, the the pharmaceutical company that um, is part of this, So that because they're... Um, trying to help women understand how um, taking, you know, the, the HPV, the PAP plus HPV together test is so critical. Um, and again, it could save their life. And again, the healthywomen.org will have a lot of the health information there that they need in advance of going to see their healthcare provider. Okay, well, that's very good information. Now, let's talk about you. You do something that's mm-hmm. really super cool because you you have uh, you have uh, gone into areas that most people, most women, have not written about, mm-hmm. and and you launched um, Savvy Auntie Auntie yes. in two thousand eight. You've written a book yes. called Otherhood, which is a great title. You've also mm-hmm. uncovered the. Uh, Pank, P-A-N-K, which stands for Professional Aunts, No Kids, Demographic, which is sort of the new marketing frontier of highly influential women consumers. Now, how did you discover the otherhood? Well, I'm a member of this otherhood, and I, I use that term of, of women who are not mother. They are other to mother. And these are women, well, in my case, I, I always expected to have children and hoped to have children and yearned to have children. I have not had children, and because I have not found a, a partner, a mate, a husband, and wanted to have a family, not just the child. And so um, I realized that my generation, Generation X, um, and now the older millennials, 
are finding that they are they are reaching their the 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 elder millennials are now you know about 35 some depending on how you count millennials even at age 40 at this point which is hard to believe um, and those so those who are reaching the end of their fertile years are realizing wow you know I got the the career and education my mom and certainly my grandmother may not have access to but I also expected I'd have the husband and kids that they did have and yet among the most well-educated, among the most financially independent, among those who, um, you know, the, almost the opposite of what we think of the, the spinster, right? The, the woman who's just got everything going for her. These are the women who are remaining single. And it's not for most of us because we didn't want to marry or because we didn't want children. Although there are women who don't want children, I completely champion that choice. But about 80% of women expect or hope to have children. And we're not finding the mate. And yes, we don't have to settle for a lesser love because we can afford to put a roof over our heads as opposed to those um, the generation before and the one before that who could not, who almost had to marry in order to leave their parents' house um, because they didn't have the, the types of careers that we are afforded today. So luckily, feminism gave us the opportunity to to wait for love. Um, of course, some of us, like myself, have hedged our bets. And um, by waiting for love, I've missed out on motherhood. And there are many women who are, again, are at that place where they're very concerned about whether or not this will happen. And it's a life that they never expected. And so Otherhood is a reported memoir on that experience. And I, I would have to say, Jane, to see your, your listeners know that it is much funnier and sexier than I'm making it sound at this point, um, because it deals with dating and it deals with sex and it deals with um, love and it deals with all the, the kind of u universal truths that, that women in their 30s and 40s um, are experiencing whether it's like me here in New York City or or in LA and in every uh, state in between. Right. Well, there's a reason why it's a bestseller, and that's because I know a lot of women have have read it, and they they it, it has wonderful information in it. Now, Melanie, I'd love to have you come back and talk more about uh, the book and about your your website. Is it Sabianti? It is SavvyAnti.com, and, um, and listeners can, can join the entourage, as I call it, on Facebook. There are over 100,000 women there. All we, we're all chatting about our love for our nieces and nephews and godchildren. Well, Melanie, in the final um, minute or so, give us some of your personal lifestyle tips to help us, no matter what our choices, live a more healthful and, and purposeful life. So I would say, and this is the question I get most often, is when people, women will often feel other to mother. We will feel, unfortunately, second to mother or second to those who haven't married for those who are single, et cetera, as if we're outcasts, as if we haven't made it yet in life. And yet, um, what I say is that if you measure your life against others' expectations of you, and by the way, those other could be the 10-year-old you who had a whole dream of your wedding, you know, and you haven't been there yet. Um, if you measure your life by others' expectations of you, you will never live an authentic life. And if you don't live an authentic life, you will never be happy. The best way to center yourself is to know yourself and be the one listening to yourself and not through the judgments of others. Right. And also, if you focus on what you don't have, you will never have enough. 
I, be- I believe well, Oprah said that. <laughs> so, and I, I agree. It's like what I tell my dates when they say, well, wh- why haven't you married? Is it because you're too picky or too this? And I'll, all I say at some point is, you know, if you keep focusing on what may be wrong with me, you'll never discover what's right with me. And there is a lot that is right with me. <laughs> well, there is a lot, a lot that is right with you. I can tell, I can, I can say that firsthand. And I want to thank you so much for being with us. You have to come back and talk about all the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about because you're very okay, interesting. I would love to. Sweetheart. So you thank are you too. so much for being with us. That is our show, everyone. Thank you again, Melanie. Thank you, Dr. Steinbaum. And thanks again, Laurie, as always. And thank you all for listening. This is Jane Wilkins-Michael. I will see you next week. Until then, be wise. Be well, be better than before. Have a question for Jane? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. The Jane Wilkins Michael Show is brought to you by Express Scripts and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org.